Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open up your, your Bibles now and go with me to the first book of Moses, which is the first book uh, of the entire title, uh, entire Bible rather, and it is called uh, Genesis. And once you've made it to the book of Genesis, uh, go with me to the 21st chapter, uh, where we're gonna consider this evening, verses 14 through 19. Uh, so we've got Genesis chapter 21, uh, verses 14 um, through 19. Uh, and this evening I'm reading and you're hearing from the new King James version of the Bible. Um, the Bible says there, uh, so Abraham rose early in the morning uh, and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under the bushes. Uh, then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite uh, him and lifted up her voice and wept. Uh, God heard the lad crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Uh, do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Uh, then the Bible says that God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Uh, and this evening, uh, I want to lift up the title and topic in Vindication of Sally Hemings and black women alike. Again, that is in vindication of Sally Hemings and black women alike. Uh, now the description of the television series entitled Sally Hemings and American Scandal uh, describes the show as being a broadcast which explores the complicated relationship of Thomas Jefferson and slave Sally Hemings, who conducted a 38-year love affair spanning an ocean, ultimately producing children, grandchildren, and lots of controversy. And just by judging from this description, there is a chance that a person perusing the programs on Netflix uh, might stumble upon this show, read its bio, and be tempted to believe that the story of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings was a testament to unrelenting romance. Uh, those that read this description uh, might be tempted to believe that the story of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings was about a love so strong uh, that it could not be separated by the length nor the depth of the sea, uh, a, a, a love so righteous that it willfully trespassed color boundaries like the moon rising on the midnight sky. Those who stumble upon this description might be tempted to believe that the story of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings was about a man and a woman that would not let anything stop them from loving one another. Uh, however, the problem with the interpretation of this relationship is that it is not historically accurate at all. Uh, for history tells us uh, that when this quote unquote relationship began, uh, Thomas Jefferson was a wealthy 44 year old married a man 
and Sally Hemings was his 14 year old slave. Um, looking beyond the adulterous behavior of this middle aged man that thought it acceptable to deflower a teenage girl who was 30 years his junior, uh, one of the most reprehensible or despicable things about the entire situation was his status as a slave owner and her position as his slave. Uh, and the reason this was such an opprobrious act is because there is no such thing as a consensual relationship between a slave owner and a slave. Uh, in fact, Gerda Lerner, uh, the renowned women's historian in her book, The Creation of Patriarchy, wrote that in all slaveholding societies, women, whether married or single, were obliged to submit sexually to their masters, uh, which meant that enslaved women did not have a choice on whether they would have sex with their masters or not. Uh, if the master wanted it, uh, it was required of them. And if they resisted the advance of the master, the master could force himself upon the female slave, knowing that there would be no governing authority to assist the woman. Uh, there would be no police that would come to their defense. And the majority of the time, the black men that loved them could not even come to protect their honor. But to these slave owners, these female slaves were nothing but living tools that could be used in whatsoever manner benefited the master. Uh, and understanding these things and uh, recognizing the slave's inability to say no or even resist the sexual advances of the master, we are forced to realize that there is no such thing uh, as a consensual relationship between the slave master and the slave, which means that the miniseries entitled Sally Hemings, an American Scandal, was actually depicting uh, 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 was the rape of a 14-year-old girl by one of the founders founding fathers of this nation. Uh, and unfortunately today I am of the belief that the founding father of the Hebrew faith also falls along similar lines. Uh, for beyond his wife, Sarah, Genesis 16 and verse 13 tells us that uh, uh, Abraham was also, uh, also married uh, uh, an African woman named Hagar. And uh, uh, Abraham's second wife, Hagar, was similar to Sally Hemings and that she was a woman that had never truly known freedom. Uh, for prior to being married to Abraham, Hagar was actually a slave to the Egyptian pharaoh. Uh, we read the story about how she came into contact with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, for there, the Bible tells us that Abraham and his wife went to Egypt to escape a famine. And when he came near to Egypt, he began to fear that the Egyptians would kill him and take his beautiful wife. And therefore, in an attempt to survive this encounter, Abraham told his wife to lie to them and tell the Egyptians that she was his sister. Uh, well, it came to pass that the Egyptians did notice Sarah's beauty. And after she had lied to them and told them that she was Abraham's sister, the Egyptian officials took her to Pharaoh's house that she might become his wife. And, and, and there in Genesis chapter 12 in verse 16, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh gave to Abraham a bride price or a payment for Sarah whom he had taken from him. And the text says that in that bride price, listen to me, the Bible tells us that Abraham was given sheep, oxen, donkey, uh, donkeys and camels as well as male 
and female slaves. Uh, uh, and when you put these things together, I believe that the text bears evidence that Hagar was one of these Egyptian slaves. And as a slave to Pharaoh, a ruler who was portrayed in the text as a lustful man, uh, Hagar would have been stripped of the choice over how she wanted to govern her body. Uh, for as a slave, one of her chief responsibilities would have been meeting the sexual desires of the king which had owned her, uh, which means for years in Pharaoh's house, uh, Hagar, the Egyptian slave, was a persistent victim of sexual abuse. And now the text tells us that she, along with other female slaves, had been passed from Pharaoh to Abraham. And without a mention of her name, she appears on a list of livestock as an indication that she was something less than human, as if she was just another possession to be used in whatsoever manner that Abraham saw fit. Um, uh, initially in the beginning of their slave to slave master relationship, Genesis 16 tells us that Abraham had given Hagar to his wife, Sarah, uh, as a personal servant, uh, which means that for the time of this arrangement, uh, Hagar was essentially an instrument of Sarah's convenience and pleasure. Uh, an article published by the American Anti-Slave Society in the year 1839 uh, spoke of the arrangement of the African woman enslaved in America and forced to serve the wife of her owner. And in the article, it was noted that the woman's slave was not given time to care for her own husband or pursue her own love interest. Neither were they able to properly bond with their own children, but they were expected to wait on the master's wife, both hand and foot. Um, uh, the article said that the mistress was, quote, in, entirely dependent upon her slave for all of her comforts. She dressed and undressed her, gave her all of her food, and she was so necessary to the mistress that she could not do without her. The woman's slave placed under the authority of the mistress solely existed as an instrument of the mistress's convenience and pleasure. Uh, this was the arrangement that Hagar languished under when she served as a slave under Sarah. And I imagine that Hagar uh, uh, in this servitude woke up before Sarah uh, so that Sarah's needs would be met before she even got out of bed. And she went to sleep after Sarah in order to ensure that the mistress was comfortably asleep. Uh, Hagar helped uh, to dress Sarah and prepared food for her. Uh, Hagar's life was literally dedicated to serving Sarah, and eventually she would even be expected to meet the se sexual needs of Sarah's husband. Uh, this unfortunate circumstance would arise in Genesis 16 where the Bible says that after 10 years of living in the land of Canaan and failing to conceive a child with her husband, Sarah decided to give Hagar to her husband as a wife. Uh, the idea being that Sarah would use Hagar as a surrogate mother, meaning that Abraham would get Hagar pregnant, uh, but the child that Hagar bore would be accredited to Sarah and therefore commanded by Sarah with no say over what she would do with her own body. Hagar was forced to sleep with Abraham and together they conceived a child uh, that was born of rape. And, and 
and, and, and though this child was exactly what Sarah and Abraham wanted, uh, one thing we know from our own history is that anytime a slave master has a child with a slave, the child is rejected and the mother is reviled as if it were the mother that forced herself upon the slave master and the child uh, who willed itself to be born. And likewise, in this instance, when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, Sarah was immediately filled with jealousy for this African woman and hatred for her firstborn son. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 10 that once Sarah was able to have her own child, that Sarah told Abraham to drive out Hagar and her son so that the son would not be heir with her own son who was called Isaac. And and, and the Bible says that after consulting with God, uh, uh, that Abraham actually kicked Hagar uh, and his own son Ishmael out to the wilderness uh, that they might fend for themselves. And looking at Genesis 21 and verse 14, the text says that Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water and strapped them to the shoulders of Hagar and sent her and his son uh, into the wilderness of Beersheba. Sheba. Uh, can you imagine that today, folk? Um, uh, uh, for years, uh, 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 this this woman, uh, 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 this woman had labored as a slave to ensure the comfort of Abraham and Sarah, while she enjoyed no comfort at all. Uh, uh, for years, uh, her life had been dedicated and devoted to maintaining the health of her masters, while her own health had deteriorated. Uh, for years, uh, she had been raped by her master and even bore him a child. But now she found herself kicked out, sent away into the wilderness by the very people that she had so devotedly served. Uh, now, for some of you, uh, the report of Hagar's emancipation might sound like the good news or gospel to you. Uh, but when you examine the manner that she was sent away, uh, you get a bit more uh, uh, clarity uh, uh, concerning the harshness of Hagar's reality. Uh, uh, for the Bible says that Abraham sent Hagar and her son uh, out into the desert, that dry, uh, uh, dusty, desolate and parched land. And when he sent them into the wilderness, he only gave them some loaves of bread and a sack of water that he strapped down to her shoulders. Now, these meager rations were hardly enough to survive on for a few days. But Abraham sent Hagar and his son out with this pathetic and piddling portion and expected them to figure out uh, how they eat and drink for the rest of their days on their own. Uh, uh, this inhospitable offering of Abraham uh, becomes especially cruel in the mind uh, when you call to account the great wealth of Abraham. Uh, uh, looking to Genesis 13 and 2, a scripture plainly says that Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And beyond his great riches, Abraham was also depicted as being a very benevolent and magnanimous man. Uh, speaking on his generosity, uh, the Bible says that the came a time in which he and his nephew Lot dwelled in the same land, but their possessions were so great uh, that there was not enough space for them to peacefully coexist. Uh, and sensing the growing tension between the two camps, uh, Abraham decided to give his nephew Lot the entire valley of the Jordan as a gift. Uh, this was a gift of immense value that he was willing to give to somebody uh, that was only his nephew. I 
wish somebody was listening to me today. And in and, and Genesis chapter 14, uh, verses 18 through 20, uh, that text also displays the giving nature of Abraham. For, for there, the Bible says that Abraham met Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And after Melchizedek blessed him with the word of prayer, the text says that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe or a tenth of everything that he owned. And therefore, the Bible is telling us that Abraham, this rich man, was willing to give a great amount of territory and deference to his nephew Lot. Uh, he was willing to give a tenth of everything to a king that he had just met. But to the mother of his child, uh, Abraham was only willing to give a few loaves of bread and a dried animal carcass full of water. Thinking of Abraham's treatment of Hagar and how he sent her into the wilderness with an insufficient allotment reminds me a lot of how the United States of America treated the enslaved Africans after their emancipation. Uh, for these enslaved people worked the skin off their hands and sprinkled, yea, even splattered ruby red blood on the snow white cotton. Uh, these enslaved Africans worked from the sun rise until it fell again to put food on their master's tables while they only ate the scraps that fell to the floor. Uh, these people endured family separations and unwarranted brutality and terrorism only to find themselves uncompensated when they were finally free. Uh, uh, when these people were emancipated, they were sent into the proverbial wilderness, uh, carrying with them only the meager rations that were left in their slave quarters and the tattered and torn clothes that they wore on their backs. And, and, and examining the plot of these freed of the freed slaves tell us that even though they were freed uh, they were still destined to fail uh, and quickly understanding the difficulty of the course that lied ahead of them many of these emancipated Africans went back to their slave masters and returned to slavery under the title of sharecropping while others who refused to return to the plantation began living an arduous life that was defined by its gripping poverty. Uh, this great poverty that they endured just a few generations ago is directly connected to the poverty that black people experience in the United States of America today. Uh, for according to the 2020 census, the poverty rate of blacks in the United States is over two and a half times higher uh, than the poverty rate of whites in the United States. Uh, uh, this is an astounding figure, especially when you consider uh, that blacks only represent 13.2% of the total population in the United States, but account for nearly 25% of the nation's impoverished population. Uh, there are many statistics that illustrate the poverty of black people within the United States, but you don't even need to look at the data to understand this. For in every major city in the United States of America, you can identify the black community uh, simply by looking for dilapidated housing. Uh, you can identify the black community uh, by its rundown apartments, its rugged streets, its businesses and churches that are shut down and shuttered. One of the identifying marks of the black community is its poverty. And that poverty is directly connected to slavery and the lack of resources they were provided once they were set free. Uh, and this is the reason that there has been a continued conversation about reparations in this nation. Uh, for the African-American descendants of slaves, 
slaves are saying that the slave masters have put an Abraham on us. Uh, they have treated our ancestors unjustly. They worked them without pay. And when they were set free, uh, uh, they set them free without even giving them what they needed in order to survive. And because of this, today we are left with no generational wealth to build upon. There are no properties or lands that we inherit. The only thing we've inherited from generation to generation is poverty. And therefore, we are looking to receive some compensation for what this nation has done to us. I'm, I'm talking about uh, reparations. And, and I understand this is a word that makes people cringe when they hear it. And part of the reason why is, is because they don't understand the connection that our condition today has to slavery. Uh, but also people shy away from the word reparations is because they think that the government issuing reparations is unrealistic. Uh, however, last year, Asheville, a city located in Western North Carolina, uh, issued a formal apology for, quote, uh, its participation in and sanctioning of the enslavement of black people. And a city council unanimously voted to begin paying reparations to its black residents. And those reparations will come through the appropriation of governmental funds to agencies that will directly deal with strategies to grow equity and generational wealth. Uh, these funds will be appropriated to help close the racial gaps in healthcare, uh, education, employment, and pay. They will use these funds to improve neighborhood safety and fairness within the criminal justice system. And the reason this is happening is because Asheville, North Carolina, recognized the connection between the poverty of its black population and the slavery that they practiced just a few generations ago. And for this reason, we need to support policy politicians that don't just talk about equality and equity, but are willing to put it into policy. Laws that ensure that these things happen. For just like Hagar, we were sent into the wilderness without be, being given any compensation for our labor. The Bible says that Hagar was sent into the wilderness with just a few loaves of bread and a small amount of water. And as this newly homeless woman searched for a place to live, uh, verse 15 tells us that she exhausted the little bit of water uh, that she did have. Uh, and the fact that Hagar ran out of water in the middle of a dry and dusty brown desert meant that her already desperate situation uh, had turned into something that was utterly disastrous. Uh, sitting there there in the desert, her mouth sucked dry of every bit of moisture, her lips left chapped and cracked by the scorch of the Palestinian sun, uh, the roof of her mouth powdered with the dirty brown dust of the desert, uh, Hagar began to cry out to God. Uh, looking at verse 16, the Bible says that she lifted up her voice to the heavens and shouted, don't let me see the boy die like this. Uh, uh, and folk, if I could just parenthetically park this thing right now, uh, I just want to say right here that Hagar exhibited, exhibited the awesome love of a mother. For though she was in the same predicament as her son, uh, the only prayer that she had was that God would not let her see her son die in this harsh manner. And some of you right now uh, ought to be thankful for the fact uh, that you had a mother who might have been poor, but she always put your wellness above her own. Uh, you had a mother uh, that went to her job and was discriminated on, but always fought for you to have equal
equal rights. Uh, you had a mother uh, that went without so that you could go with. Um, you had a mother uh, that starved so that you could eat, gave up her dreams so that you could chase yours. Some of you need to be thankful that you had mothers that were just like this. Um, uh, and the Bible tells us that when Hagar cried out to God, that God took notice of her son. And if you look at Genesis 21 and 17, you see that God had already assessed uh, Hagar's situation. And he said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad. Um, uh, in that moment, preacher, uh, uh, I can almost hear Hagar saying, uh, God, uh, uh, why shouldn't I fear? Uh, I don't have any place to live. Uh, I don't have any money. Uh, I don't have anybody to protect me from the dangers of the wilderness. Uh, I don't have any food. Uh, I don't even have any water to give to my son. Why shouldn't I fear what I'm going through? Uh, but what Hagar didn't quite understand in that moment, blessed as name, is that she was under the supervision of a God uh, that had assumed the divine duty of being our provider. Uh, which means that there is nothing that can stop God from giving his children exactly what they need. Uh, for our God is able to rain down manna from the sky. Uh, he fed Elijah with a raven and turned water into wine. Uh, he can turn a fish fillet into a feast and bring water from a rock. There is nothing that can stop God from providing his children with exactly what they need. Um, uh, this is what Hagar was about to learn. And uh, uh, this lesson became clear in verse nine, where the Bible says that God opened up her eyes and she saw a well of water, uh, which says to us that even though Abraham failed to provide, uh, Yahweh stepped in and supplied. Uh, uh, it says to us that even though her slave owner, uh, even though her oppressor, uh, her rapist sent her into the desert with just a few loaves of bread and a jug of water, uh, God stepped in and gave her a well in the wilderness and a drinking fountain in the desert. Uh, it says to us that even though we never received the 40 acres and a mule promised by William Tecumseh Sherman, even though we haven't received compensation for all that has been done to us in this nation, uh, God will step in and supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Uh, and what I like most about the provision of God this evening uh, in this text uh, is exactly how the provision was made. Uh, for if you notice, the text never said that God dropped down a well from the sky. Uh, the text never said that God reached down into the dirt and that he dug into the earth, laid down stone and created a cistern. But in verse 19, the text simply says that he opened up her eyes and she saw it. Um, uh, this thing is getting good to me right now because the fact that he opened up her eyes and then she saw it indicates to us that the whale had been there the entire time, uh, which means that the blessing that he provided her with was drawn from some work that someone had done prior to her arrival. I'll say it one more time today. The reason uh, Hagar was able to draw water from a well is because at some point in time, long before she had ever come to the land, there had been some people there that put work in and built a well. And as we celebrate our black history, we are essentially affirming the reality that the reason we are able to drink from these waters, the reason that we have made it this far, uh, the reason and we are surviving and even thriving in a nation that has never been meant for us to succeed. It's not because of the work that we've done, but it's because of the work of those who have come before us. 
when I think about this idea, uh, I'm reminded of the trip that I take from my place in Charlottesville uh, to the Calvary Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, which is located in Gordonsville. Now, on the way, uh, there is a long stretch of road that cuts right through the middle of miles of farmland and leads you to the city limits. And on this country road, there is a sign on the side of the road that says Spotswood Trail. Now, every time I drive this sign, it catches my eye because there is a plant that is resting on top of the sign. Uh, now, I've been examining that plant for three years now, and I can confirm that there are no vines that run down the sign, which means that this plant uh, didn't grow from the grass and climb its way to the top of the sign. Uh, but the reason that the plant stands on top of the sign is because somebody or something had to put it there. And likewise, uh, the reason that you and I have some of the things that we have today, the reason that we've accomplished some of the things that we've accomplished is because somebody else came and did some work before us. Uh, the freedom we enjoy today is because of those black soldiers, uh, those political and revolutionary leaders that were willing to fight, bleed, and die for their posterity to enjoy the divine right of autonomy. I'm thankful for our black educators who transformed the people who were kept uh, illiterate by the lash end of a whip into a people that have climbed the highest heights of academia and intellectual excellence. I praise God for black businesses uh, that met the needs that the majority society would not fulfill and allowed us to participate in the economy with dignity. I thank God for the black church, uh, which he rose up when the white churches in this nation closed its doors to us, when they demeaned us in the name of Jesus and subjected us to abuse. Our ancestors created for us a space in which we could come together and praise him, a place we could come and pray and preach the word of God. I am eternally grateful for the work of all of those who have come before us because had they not done the labor, you and I would not be where we are today. Somebody ought to praise them right now. The Bible tells us that when God opened up her eyes, she saw the well and was able to give a drink to her son and to herself as well. Uh, but, but, but folks, there's something else that God did that stuck out to me in the text. Uh, for in verse 18, uh, the text says that he promised her uh, that he would make Ishmael a great nation. Uh, now, now, now watch this. This is the same promise uh, that he had made to Abraham, who is the progenitor of the nation of Israel. Uh, and if you were to look at Genesis chapter 12, verses one and two, you'd find that God told Abraham that if he got out of this country, from his relatives and from his father's house and went to a land that he would show him that God promised to make Abraham a great nation. Uh, but now God uh, is making that same promise to Ishmael. Uh, in fact, the parallel even runs deeper because in Genesis 17 and verse 20, when God first told Hagar that he would make Ishmael a great nation, God also promised her that 12 tribal leaders would come from him, uh, which is a mirror image of the 12 tribes that would come from the nation of Israel, uh, which means that God promised this former slave that he would receive the same blessing that was upon Abraham. 
uh, listen to me closely, uh, that means that just as the masters own riches, uh, this former slave would now own riches too. Uh, just as the master had his territory, uh, so would the slave have a turf to call his own. Uh, just as the master had autonomy, uh, so would the former slave have the right to do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, and howsoever he chose to do it. I wish somebody was listening to me today. Just as the master educated their children, uh, so would the sons and daughters of slaves uh, educate their children too. Uh, just as they participated in the workforce, uh, just as they ran governments, just as they were able to become presidents and vice presidents, so would the sons and daughters of slaves become presidents and vice presidents too. For God blessed Ishmael uh, in the same manner that Abraham was blessed. Um, uh, God told Hagar uh, that he would make Ishmael uh, a great nation. Uh, and even though the subject of the blessing was Ishmael, uh, I believe that the blessing says something about Hagar too. Uh, for the idea of men or sons being called the progenitor or the great ancestors of nation uh, is an idea that came from the ancient Near Eastern patriarchal system, which dictated that a family's lineage uh, is traced through the man. Uh, and understanding that God was working within the confines of the culture, I believe that since Ishmael came from Hagar's womb, that could have also been said that a great nation was going to come out of her too, uh, which says to us, that even though Hagar had been enslaved from her youth, uh, even though she had been sold to a stranger and carried into a nation that she did not know, uh, even though she had been raped and sent away into the wilderness without any water to drink, uh, something great uh, still came out of Hagar. And I can't wait until all of the African women uh, enslaved in the United States awake from the sleep in their graves. Uh, and they can see that even though they endured in humanities, uh, even though they had their children stripped from them, uh, their husbands beaten and killed and their bodies violated, that God still allowed great things uh, to come from them. Uh, it was a black woman uh, named Elizabeth Freeman uh, who ran away from the plantation and convinced the court of law in Massachusetts that slavery violated their state constitution. Uh, it was a black woman uh, named Mary McLeod Bethune uh, that founded the Bethune-Cookman College and forced John Hopkins Hospital uh, to hire African Americans American doctors. Uh, it was a black woman uh, named Ida B. Wells uh, that took our own money and started a newspaper that galvanized black people to fight back against the lynching of black men. Uh, it was a black woman named Stacey Abrams that highlighted voter suppression in Georgia and moved a mass of people to flip some Senate seats and take the White House too. Uh, it is a black woman named Kamala Harris that ascended from local politics to the second highest seat in the entire nation. Oh, and I can't wait till we all get to heaven and we see that African woman named Hagar, that same black woman uh, who told us about a God uh, that can put a well in the wilderness and a drinking fountain in the desert. Uh, that same black woman uh, that told you about a God uh, that can make a way out of no way and makes the impossible more than possible. Uh, that same black woman that told us about a God that can break the chains of captivity and bring you into the kingdom. That same black woman that told us that even though you've been disrespected, uh, unprotected, and neglected, God can still bring great things out of you. Today, as we look 
at the story of, 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 of Hagar, uh, uh, the parallel of, of, of Sally Hemings, uh, what it tells us uh, is that even though uh, 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 you may have began uh, uh, your story uh, uh, disrespected, neglected, unprotected, whatever, even though you might have been taken advantage of, God is still able to bring great things out of you. Uh, this is the story uh, of our history, especially in these United States, uh, that God has been a people where we have come from uh, 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 and bring us this far uh, along the line. And he is willing to do even uh, uh, more as these days go by. And I encourage you to give your life onto this God because he is able to do it for you as well on a personal level. Uh, I want to have a word of prayer for that, for that man, for that woman, for that boy, that girl right now. Um, who is looking at their own lives and you, 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 you don't like the way these things are, are, are taking shape. You don't like what has happened uh, uh, thus far. And you just you want to commit yourself to him uh, because you know that God can take your life and still bring great things out of you. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for this reality that you are able uh, 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 to make something uh, out of nothing, Lord, that you are able to take uh, this slave uh, uh, woman, uh, uh, this African woman uh, by the name of Hagar. And even though she had been misused and abused, you brought a great nation uh, from her. Lord, I'm asking that you would be with that individual that's given their life to you right now. Uh, uh, that person that is looking at their life and uh, uh, they don't uh, 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 like the quality of it. Uh, uh, they look back on their past and uh, uh, they, they, they have found themselves hopeless in this time. Lord, I'm asking that you would save them uh, both spiritually uh, uh, as well as physically in their lives right now, Lord, that you would make great things come from them, even as you made great things come out of Hagar, uh, Sally, uh, Sally Hemings, uh, and the enslaved Africans alike. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and every blood-bought believer say amen.